Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. So this is going to be number four in this series called Move Forward. You know, and I wanted to start off with the idea of hope and the idea that, you know, you should just expect things to be better. You know, a lot of people have a version of Christianity that it's like, oh, I'm a worthless worm and, you know, God is testing me and making it really challenging for me because it's the fire that refines me. And it's like, I thought it was the Spirit of God that refined us. I mean, you might face challenges. You might end up in persecution. You might end up in the refiner's fire. But the way that God perfects you is with His Spirit. It's with Christ. You're already perfected in spirit. And so what He does is He just starts to shape the rest of you to match what He's already done spiritually. You're perfect in spirit. You are as holy before God as you ever will be. Because if you were to go right now out of your body and into the presence, the direct presence of God, which you're really in, and see him on his throne, not one thing would need to change about you to be acceptable in that place. You might need to shed this body to get there, you know, but one day that'll change too. So that's where we are as believers is perfected in spirit, acceptable before the Father, not needing one more thing from God because Christ in his fullness dwells within you. And so now it's just a matter of, all right, that is, that is my identity. That is who I truly am. Now I'm going to let that true identity affect every other part of me. My mind, my speech, my behavior, how I walk in love toward others, how I yield to his spirit, how I yield to his grace. But it's all about love. So I just want to say right off the bat, before we get too far into this message, that it's a pursuit of love is what we're after. You know, Jesus commanded us to love. When they tried to trick him and see if he really knew the law, to see if God knew the law, <laughs> you know, these Pharisees. I mean, can you imagine that if, if once they started having revelation of who they were, how, how stupid must they have felt, right? It's like, wait a minute, I was trying to trick God to see if he really knew what God knows, you know. I don't know, it's just things that make you think, I guess, but... But so we're talking about pursuit of passion, pursuit of callings, pursuit of goals, but it has to be love-based. It has to be with love as the motivation and love as the core. And so today we're talking about who do you love? You know, because a lot of times, and I've talked about this a lot here, because sometimes your mission field might be your bedroom. It might be the other side of that bed that you're sleeping on. I'm serious. There are people that it's like, praise God for Malaysia and Kenya, but my spouse needs Jesus. And that is your mission field. And there's one way to reach them, and that's love them. Because when they experience your love, it preps them to be able to experience God's love. It's not the fear. It's not the shame. It's not the worry. It's not the incessant prayer. I mean, you need to keep praying, but it's the love. Love is what transforms. Love is how God changes us. Ephesians 3 is so much about 
the description of grace that we focus on here in this place is that when you know the depth and the breadth and the height of His love for you so that Christ can dwell in your hearts, it brings you to a place of wholeness so that you'll be filled to the measure of Christ, right? Ultimately, that's what it's saying. Now, you have Christ in your spirit, but you need Him in your heart. And other people around you need you to have Jesus in your heart. And we say it as if it's a cliche. You ask a little five-year-old, where's Jesus? He's in my heart. It's like you ask a 27-year-old, where's Jesus? I don't know. He's out there somewhere, you know. (laughs) But we need him in our heart. And even for you, you're one in spirit with him, but you still need him in your heart. But that is how we define our purpose and our passion. You know, next week... And I'm going to call you guys out of, Chris kind of gets the highlight. Shay has done an amazing job too. But can I say tomorrow marks a year that Chris has been sober. I mean, we celebrate drunks in this place. (laughs) Those are our heroes, honestly. You know, you go in different cultures and Sarah, three years sober, two days ago. Her daughter, praise God. But you know, it's, it's interesting to me who our heroes are. You know, who different groups of people's heroes are. And justifiable heroes, veterans or, you know, people like Martin Luther King. I mean, justifiable heroes. But in this place, our heroes are those people as well, but they're the people that have experienced real transformation. You know, that's who I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate people that have been through something and stand and, sh- and can show the world this is what Jesus does within a human heart and a human life. Amen. And I've just seen that happen, you know. Amen. You guys are heroes in the kingdom because you've let Jesus transform you. Amen. And, and when you know that it's Jesus that's transformed you, by his love for you, you don't take any credit for it. You know, you can't. You can't take any credit for it. You, you know better. So anyway, we're going to hear from them next week. I'm excited about that, hear their story. So make sure you come, you know, bring a drunk with you. They're going to love hearing it. They can come drunk, you know. He was drunk first time he came. It's all right, you know. You'll hear that next week. <laughs> And, and, and it was mom, my mom, that just kind of... Yeah, it was my mom. But we're moving toward this idea of what is on your heart to do? What, what ministry, what passion, what mission is it that you have on your heart? You know, we heard it's his mission to, to media, to uh, Malaysia. I was... Yeah. And then, you know, these guys over here, you'll hear about next week, they're starting to something to reach... People that are in recovery from all different kinds of addictions. You know, I love to bring people that don't know Jesus to a simple understanding of what he's done and those people that have been steeped in performance-centered religion their entire lives back to Jesus and dismantle those religious mindsets. That's what I love. I love to just kind of work day after day, week after week, a methodical process and just watch it, you know, unfold and unclick within people to get back to Jesus. Because that's, that's just what Christianity needs is to actually be about Christ. <laughs> Amen? Amen? But, you know, you get to a place where you're like, I, 
I want to do something. I, I have this passion. I want to serve people. I want to reach the world with this gospel. You know, I, I want to affect people. And you think, well, what can I do? And so you go to a well-meaning church, and they take you to a program, and they plug you in, and they say, what you're really good at is what God has gifted you to do, and so therefore that's your calling. And it's like, I, you know, there's anything that I can do, and, you know, and, and it's kind of wrapped in this idea, there's one thing that you do better than anybody else on this planet, and that's your calling. You ever heard it that way? I mean, honestly, I think everything that I can do, there's somebody that can do it better. I mean, if it's finding that one thing that I do better than 8 billion other people, I'll probably never find my calling. So, you know, just well, that's one more, one more little religious idea taken off. It's not about your performance. And then you try to find this perfect will for you that it's like there's one exact thing and I got to keep throwing darts at the dartboard of life until I hit the bullseye and then I figure out what the will of God is for me. I'm not that good at darts, so, you know, I'll probably never find the will of God either. You know, you see what I'm saying though, right? It's like there's this one narrow road and there's a narrow road to salvation, but you following God, once you've become born again, man, the world is your oyster. You know, you might find yourself all over the place, but if love is the motivation, then it's not about the one performance. It's about loving the people that are around you, whether it be the person in your bedroom on the other side of your bed or the other side of the world that God has called you to. It's about love. So for me, and I'm working on a, a more a process to kind of come to this conclusion to help people actually come up with a plan, and we'll do that a little bit in this series in the next couple of weeks. But I say your call is defined by your passion. Your call, in other words, your purpose is to be a child of God. You receive Christ, your purpose is fulfilled. That's why God created you was to be his child. Your calling is that now that you're a child, God says, I'd like for you to do this. But it's not defined by your performance, it's defined by your love. And it's defined specifically by who your heart beats for. So when you pray and you think about that I'd like to reach these people, who is it? Who are the people? It's not what, it's who. Your calling is defined by who, not what. Who do you love? Think about it. Who do you love? Oh, obviously, you love your kids. That's a calling. That's a ministry. You love your spouse. That's a calling. That's a ministry. You love your niece. That's a calling. That's a ministry. But then it might broaden and become a little bit more formulated. You know? So you are fulfilling your calling as you are loving because our love for one another as believers is what will convince, will show the world that they follow Jesus because of the way they love each other. And then our unity in that love convinces the world that God sent Christ into the earth. God, what am I supposed to do? Well, you can start loving that guy right there next to you. You just start there. So what does that look like? See, and that's where we have troubles because we're, then we're limited by finances and health and all this stuff. So those of you that are involved in life groups, and if you're not in a life group, maybe have this discussion, and you've all had this discussion before with other people, different life groups, whatever, but answer this question, if money were no object. Now, I don't mean that you got a billion dollars in the bank. I just mean if money weren't something that you had to worry about, whatever that works out for you, like enough shows up every day for you to live, or maybe it is 
your security is for money to not be an issue. You need a certain amount, you know. But just assume that money were not an issue. <clears throat> so honestly, whether it be with your spouse or your kids or your life group or whatever, have this conversation this week. Answer this question with each other. What would I do if money weren't an object? Now, you might love your job. You might keep your job. It's not about quitting your job. You might quit your job. But what would you do if money were no object and if health were not an issue and you had no other excuses? Because it's interesting and people are like, okay, well, I've got enough money, but my spouse is crazy. All right, just act like that's not an excuse. <laughs> you know, I've got, enough, I've got enough finances and my marriage is okay, but my foot hurts, you know. It's like, you just, just don't use that excuse either. You've got no excuses. What would you do? You ever done that before? I see some heads nodding. It's a fun exercise because you get to dream. And man, I'm telling you, you will hear some really cool ideas. People have amazing ideas to reach people. Now, I'm assuming that your, your answer is going to be related to communicating the gospel in some way. And you may not see the connect. You may not know how your woodworking can communicate the gospel. But that's what you give to God. You know, it can be something that you love, but how do you express that toward people? And you let God show you that. See, because here's the thing. He commanded us to love, but he also gave us freedom of expression of our humanity and our identity and our personalities. So do you trust that God can take you and what you love and make that into something that he uses? Or do you feel like you've got to become something else? to actually fulfill your ministry. You don't, you do not have to become, unless you're not born again, you need to get born again. But once you are born again and you have the spirit of the living God within you, it should be a natural expression of living out your Christianity that reaches people, if love is your focus. So the question is, who do you love? And it, again, it may just start with your family. And then the uh, follow-up question is, do they know that you love them? Think about that. Do they know? These people that I say that I love, do they know that I love them? How can I express this love to them? So you have a passion for people that have no water to drink in Kenya. How can they feel the effects of your love? What is it that you... So the more you define it, the clearer the picture gets, the more it shows you this is the passion of my heart. I'm going to start moving in that direction. And then at that point, I need some resources. I need to organize this way. But you have the focus, not, God, what do you want me to do? Because you're just going to sit there and stare at those 8 billion galaxies, or 80, 100 billion galaxies. I need to get the song right there. <laughs> I geeked out for a minute there, sorry. But because that's what you do, right? You sit there and you think, okay, what do I... This, this is what I would do if money were no object. God, how do I do that? And it's like, all right, define it as who and start moving toward those people. Is, does that make sense to you? Is that, is that, does that give you enough meat on the bone to actually take a step? Because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to refine that into a little bit more of a plan, and we're going to do that. We might even do a couple of Wednesday nights or something like that to, to hear each other's hearts and hear our plans and our ideas so that we can encourage one another. You know, it might be where this person wants to do something and this person knows the missing link to get them to where they need to be, you know. I mean, it, it, that's the body of Christ working together, our love for one another, our support for one another.
collaboration is inspirational. It does. It, it speaks. I mean, it might, you know, collaboration, even, even a dog dragging another dog out of the street that's been run. You ever seen that video or videos like that? It's like, you know, two ants working together to move a leaf across the... It's like, you look at, there's just something about collaboration that's inspirational, right? I mean, you're sitting here, you're watching these dogs, one of them's dragging the other one, you start crying, and it's like, I don't even know those dogs. <laughs> we, we've... <coughs> but I'm just trying to show how... I'm trying to make the point that what really will make an impact in the world is our love for one another. We're so performance-based. It's so much about what am I supposed to do. It's like I'm telling you an expressed display of love is as inspirational as paying someone's electric bill, if not more. Love inspires hope. It's what God said to do. Jesus, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Oh, by the way, that love is the strategy that will reach the world and convince them that God sent me here. You know, we, 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 but we make it so hard because we think it's something I've got to do. So how do you love? You know, you have, we have 1 Corinthians 13 that gives kind of a standard of, of what love should look like and the effects that it should be. So, you know, that's some homework this week for you. Over the next, you have two weeks actually to finish this homework assignment. Read 1 Corinthians 13. And then I actually want to read through 1 John 4 because there's some responsibility in love. It's, I don't want you to look at love as, okay, well, I'm just going to do nice things for people. No, it, it, God takes it very seriously. God takes love to the degree that he says, look, if you say you love me, but you don't have love for your neighbor, well, I'm not so sure you love me. You know, he's not necessarily wanting you to question your salvation, that irritates me to no end with religious people saying, you know what, you're not doing Christianity the way that I think you should do Christianity. Are you sure you know the Lord, brother? You know, we're not going there. We're not questioning people's salvation. We're not questioning our own salvation. We're just looking at, is this love that I say that I have for God actually truly effective? And if it's not, then it's time for you to let God love you. I mean... Is there an element of God that inspires, you know, passion within you? And for me, it's thinking about what Jesus did. I, I, I can, any day, any time, I can sit and stop. because One of the things, because of the way that I got born again, but I can sit and stop and think about Jesus giving himself over to be arrested, letting himself be nailed to that cross, passing into that grave, remaining faithful and raising again and giving. You know, I can take myself mentally through that. And just get there. You know, I just see it. I feel it. It's personal. It brings me to tears many times just thinking about it. You know, not because it's something that God does to me, but it's I just take it that personally. You know, what is it about what God has done for you that evokes that kind of emotion that then spills out onto other people? Because I remember when I first got born again, I didn't know anything. Wasn't really raised in church, you know. I didn't know that you're supposed to read the New Testament. I didn't even know the book of Ezekiel was in the Bible. I'd read some philosophy book. I didn't know anything about anything. All I knew was that when I was aware of Jesus, I felt better, and I wasn't going to hell anymore. 
And I had this experience of understanding that there was an exchange that took place. And I didn't even know that that was the gospel. I just knew Jesus did something for me. So I started telling people, led a bunch of my friends to the Lord. I'd go downtown Atlanta and, you know, get the religious people would confuse me because they'd start wanting to talk. I'm like, I don't know about that, man. I just don't, you know, talk Jesus. <laughs> but how seriously do you take the love of God? Let's just read through this. Y'all ready? It's only 21 verses. Hang in there. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the screen. Let's go to 1 John 4. So you have two homework assignments. Well, you gotta, I'm going to give you five homework assignments. Ready? Number one, have a discussion with somebody about what would you do if money weren't an object. And dream, you know, think big. Even write it down. Yeah, we'll send these out. We'll put these in a blog. Make sure you get it. We'll post it up on uh, forward.church on the blog page. What did I say, five? Yep. I might have to refine that. Let me think. <laughs> have the discussion. Um, who do you love? Answer that question. And the third one is 1 Corinthians 13. Fourth one is this. I just, we'll, we'll take it. We'll make it four. Does that work for you? All right. Beloved... Now, it's in, you know, the, I want you to, did I say what the fourth one was? <laughs> Read the entire book of 1 John. That's your fourth one. It's not very long. You can do it in an afternoon or like 15 minutes probably. But anyway, this is chapter four. But I want you to have the full context, but this is a clear expression of what we're talking about. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they have God, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. <clears throat> we'll just keep going. So here's how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is God. Now, that's really a whole other sermon, but what it means there is that God became a man. God became human. God limited himself in every way like you are, yet without sin, to face and conquer everything that a human could face. It's really important because there are people that say that Jesus came, but he was a God when he was here, or he was different from you when he was here, or he was the brother of Lucifer, and they came and fought over this planet. I think that's, is that, that's Mormons or Jehovah's? Which one? The brother of Lucifer is Jesus. We don't have any ex-Mormons here. Mormons, yeah. So anyway, God became human and conquered everything that you're facing as a human under the influence of the Spirit. So, verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now we start getting into So you are of God. Say, I am of God, am. little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. You know, now see, there are some people that say that Jesus died to save everybody, so therefore everybody's already saved whether they believe or not. But you read places like this, and there's a clear distinction between people that have God and don't have God. You know? Sometimes people hear the way that we present the gospel and think, well, those guys are universalists somehow because they just think that God's good all the time and everybody's saved. Like, no, 
You still got to believe. You got to receive. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, it's interesting, go back to eight. There's a technicality here that comes from doing a little bit of study and understanding Greek. When it says that he who does not know God, it's talking about a present, I forget the, the Greek word, but it's like a present active, and it's referring to is not presently experiencing God. Because earlier in, in John, 1 John, you're going to see where it's like that if you don't know God or if you're not following God, you've never known him. It's, it's not that you've never known him. It's that in this moment right now, this is reflected in the Greek. If you're not loving, you're not currently, presently experiencing God's love for you. So don't read this and think, well, I'm not loving people. I don't know if I've ever been saved. We're not talking about setting yourself up to have to question your salvation. We're talking about in this moment, are you presently experiencing God's love for you because that is what will inspire you to love others. So if you want to fulfill your mission, can you put yourself in a position where God's love for you actually does something within you? I mean, it's really a big deal for you to be able to sit and meditate on God and be moved inwardly by what he's done for you. You may not, you know, get warm and fuzzy and start bawling. You may just have a deep sense of appreciation and thankfulness, you know. You don't have to have goosebumps, but is it personal for you? So he who does not love, who, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, now that we loved God, but that he, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be our propitiation for our sins. This is really hard for me because there's so many sermons in this, but we'll keep going. <laughs> Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected or matured in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he is in us, because he has given us of his spirit. I mean, this is like a discourse of Christianity here. Next verse. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Now, go back to 15 for just a minute, because I do want to address this. This is a reflection of what Jesus prayed in John 17, is that those that are in him are united in their love for one another to the degree that it shows the world that we're followers of him, and that united love convinces the world that God sent Jesus into the earth. I mean, it's a really big deal that we get that because we're so focused on doing something that we don't really, we miss the point that he said, it is your love for one another that will show the world. Now, you are to go into the world and carry the gospel and love them and show them the love of God, but it's got to be in unity within the body. Now, I think this is actually a correction of the truth police, the ones that say, well, I, you know, I think you might be thinking you're confessing Jesus, but you don't really know 
Jesus, I'm not really sure that you're saved because I don't see the works in you that I think that you should have. And I'm telling you, there's so much division in the body of Christ of who really are Christians. You go to these churches down the street that focus more on the book than the spirit, and the book is incredibly important. I'm not diminishing the value of the book, but it's like only the book. Man, they sit there and they will avoid you in public because they're not so sure that you're saved. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Next verse. And so it's clear he's saying, you got Christ in you, you're part of the family. Don't look for ways to divide, look for ways to unite. And we have known and believed the love, of God, the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. This is one of those that you read and it's like, you know, it's like a pillar should just be put there. You should have it ingrained in your self-perception that as he is, so are you in this world. And you're seated with him, so you're as he is in that world too. Now, you're not God. You're not going to become a God. You know what I mean? But God has made you on the same level as a child, as Jesus. And you can have boldness in the day of judgment. You ever been afraid of the wrath of God to come? Did you say yesterday? Oh. <laughs> She's going there. She's going there. Now, you know, there's an end. There's a final judgment. It's all going to wrap up in some form or another. But you know what? You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't ever have to be afraid that you're going to stand before God and your works will be judged for righteousness. Your works and your words will be judged for reward, but you yourself are already saved. Amen? Amen. Amen. You can be bold and confident in the most wrathful expression of God because as Jesus is, so are you. Amen? I mean, it's just such a big deal. Next verse. <clears throat> There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I love the way that the living Bible says this. It says, if you're afraid of God, it shows that you're not yet truly convinced that God loves you. When, when Jesus quoted the passage, fear God, he said, worship God. And I think God can interpret God's words. Not supposed to, you, there's no reason to be afraid of God. The fear that we have for God is awe and reverence and majesty like you were talking about. You, just, you know, when Caitlin was painting this picture, it's like, wow. That's the reverence. That's what you have. But if you're afraid of God and what he might do to you, you've not really experienced his love for you. I would submit to you the reason that you're not fully walking in your call is you haven't fully experienced his love for you. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Uh-oh. It's serious. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Are you going to go to hell if you don't love? No. But 
you're not going to be that representation of God on this planet that he wants to be through you. I want you to quit judging yourself that you're not doing enough because who is? You'll never do enough and refocus the expression of your calling to, am I loving? Am I taking it seriously that Jesus said, my love for my fellow brother and sister here in Christ is what's going to change the world? You know, so when we huddle in our groups and we talk about that church or we talk about, you know, maybe this group talks about that group over there. I know y'all don't do that. You're going to love fest, but you know what I mean? It's like, be careful. Be careful how you talk about believers. Not for fear of judgment. Isn't it interesting that he addresses it, right? Look, don't be afraid in judgment. There is a judgment coming. There you do give an account for your words. Your works and your words are judged, but you yourself will be saved because as you are, as he is, so are you, but you better be loving. And, but he, then he wraps it and he says, but the way that you love is because he first loved us. So it all comes back to this idea of can you get a hold of yourself and experience God's love for you to the degree that it changes even your desires, it changes your behaviors, it transforms in you into this image of Christ. See, it's not because you get better at self-control. You might need to exercise a little self-control along the way. But it's that you are a master at letting God love you. It's what you need. It drives out your fear. It drives out your worry. It drives out your doubt. And it just puts you square in the face of people looking at them saying, you need to feel God's love and I'm just the one to show you. Because I have so deeply experienced his love for me. You want to fulfill your call, know God's love for you, and then start to let that spill out. And then it refines more and more and more and more and more. And it's not one specific thing. It's just being committed to this. Amen? Does that, does that give you, does that kind of, I hope what that does is it sets you free a little bit, but it shows you the seriousness of what God expects to be birthed in you and through you. And kind of inspires you of how can I love, you know? So, but don't make love a work. Like, hold still, I'm going to love you. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, don't move. You know, you know what I mean? Like, don't make, okay, now I've got to love. You know what, it's because that's abstract. It's like, no, it's not, it's not fleshed out by this is how I do love, because then that's performance-based again. It's can I feel God's love for me? And then can I have a relationship with the people around me that's, that's fueled by what I have experienced from God, and I just want them to experience this? Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us, that you still love us, and you'll never stop loving us, that nothing can separate us from your love for us. And I, I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to change my mind in the area of love and put love first. Make the deepest motivation of my heart expressing your love. God, I need your wisdom. I need your guidance of how to actually express this, how to walk it out, how to show. But, but just deeply, I, just, I want to trust that your love for people is effective. I just get to show people your love for them. And your love is powerful. It is the heart of the gospel that you love people. And you don't want to be separated from them. Father, we're committed to love, not because it's a commandment, 
but because we know that it is your very nature and we want to show people who you really are. So in this moment, I give you my heart and my mind to live in me and through me and make me an agent and expression of your love. For myself, love for myself, love for my immediate family, love for my neighbors, and just spilling out into maybe specific areas that might be on my heart. I trust you. I just want to follow you. Amen. You got your homework? We'll send it out tomorrow.